We don't usually start with a story about high school football, but this one is a talker. It's today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. And Layla is an attorney for the football coach who lost his job after using the word Nazi as part of his play calling, really trying to justify the use of the word in high school football games. What is his logic on why no one should have taken offense to it? Now, Peter Patakis is representing former Brooklyn High School football coach Tim McFarland in his case against the school district for being wrongfully forced to resign. And Patakis is arguing that Nazi is not an offensive term in the context of football. He said it's commonly used in calling plays and that, in fact, he remembers using it when he played football for Revere High School in the 1990s. He said McFarland is mindful of the atrocities that the Nazis committed during the Holocaust, but that it didn't occur to him at all that someone would be offended by hearing the Brooklyn offensive lineman using the term Nazi during the game to signal a blitz until his counterparts on the Beachwood sideline brought it to his attention in the second quarter of last Friday's game. He Patakis likened it to Peyton Manning's famous Omaha call. In the context of football, he said the term Nazi is by no means an anti-Semitic slur. Beachwood officials are clearly upset by this defense of this of this term. Their superintendent said Patakis on behalf of McFarland had succeeded in taking a terrible situation and <laughs> making it worse. Yeah. <laughs> and the school official said um, the argument Patakis is making demonstrates further ignorance and recklessness and just a total lack of accountability. Look, this is ridiculous. One, we cover high school football, and I checked with the people that are in charge of that, and they're they're astounded. Because if we had heard one time somebody saying Nazi at a high school football game, it would have been news. So if it happened in the 90s, okay, we were, I wasn't around back in the 90s, but there's no way you can argue that's not offensive. I, I'm stunned that the, he put this statement out. This thing was kind of sliding away. It, the news had died down. It was going away. I think the Beachwood quote was right on the money. He took a terrible situation and he just made it a lot worse. He's saying it's okay. I, it boggled my mind when well, this story came out. I, can I just add that? So I went to Revere while Peter Patakos played football for Revere. Oh, we, really? Um, Yes, yes, I know, Pete. So anyway, when he played in the 90s, maybe it was okay, but things have really changed in the political correctness department. But how do you know what's good and what's not? I mean, people have used the word Nazi, grammar Nazi, soup Nazi. I mean, we've used it. We've kind of normalized the term, unfortunately, for better or worse. So I can see there's kind of confusion here. Can you use Nazi at all? Is it going to go the way of other words like retarded now? Well, you know, to be honest, every single time I've ever heard someone use the word Nazi in one of those contexts, like feminazi, it has mm-hmm. always made me cringe. I have always mm-hmm. felt uncomfortable with that, and but, I have always tried never to use it because that, unless it's used in the historic context, that is that's really what that's what it is. That's what a Nazi is. Okay, so you're dealing with children, right? You are you are an adult leader of children. You would think. Hey, let's not use that word. That yes. you know, that has big connotations. Let's just not do it. And let's not be yelling it out on a football field in a city that's predominantly Jewish. I mean, this, I, this during seems, the high holy days. Right, right. I mean, this <laughs> this seems like the no-brainer of no-brainers it that is. at some point along the way somebody would have said, 
you know, guys, there's a million words we can use um, for blitzes to compare it to Omaha. Omaha does not have the connotation of six million people being slaughtered. Right, I mean, right. no, it was like the opposite because yeah. it was the beach at Normandy where to, we where we stopped them. I mean, it's, exactly. to, to make that comparison, it's like, what are you talking about? This was one of the most inflammatory statements the lawyers put out, and it's just, I, it's just no reality there. If if Nazi would have been used in high school football games, we'd know about it. We blanket this area every fall with reporters who are covering high school football games. And this just isn't the, the way it's done. So, you know, they're saying, oh, the coach is a good guy. It's really upset the kids. OK, fine. But he should have known better. Any adult working with children should have known better. And Patakos is off his rocker. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Max Miller is turning out to be an interesting congressman from Northeast Ohio. While some Republicans are doing everything they can to shut down the government in their antics of getting attention for themselves, he has a proposal that includes some genuine accountability. Laura, what is it? Yeah, good for Max Miller. He says no pain, no gain, or no play, no pay, or Kate, wait, no. He is calling it No Work, No Play Act of 2023. And he's a freshman congressman from Rocky River. He says, if the government shuts down, so do you, Congress people. No campaigning, no official travel other than to D.C. or your district, and no paycheck. I, I love the idea. I love, And I love that he's taking a stand against his colleagues, saying our job is to run the country. Our job is to operate government. We're not doing it, so we shouldn't get paid and, and we shouldn't be able to use campaign money. He's right. I mean, that their job is to keep it running, mm-hmm. not to stop it. And I just, we all wondered what he'd be like. He came out of the Trump White House yeah. and so far he's been doing good stuff. I mean, I, I, he's, he could be a very good surprise leader for Northeast Ohio. Uh, definitely not the leader I had feared um, so, yeah, and this does cost money when the government shuts down. It's not like we're saving money because we close all the stuff and it's all the non-essential services that close down, like you can't go to a national park or something like that. But the last time there was 52 days the federal government was fully or partially shut down over the previous five years, that cost taxpayers nearly $4 billion, mostly in back pay, because the workers who are furloughed still get paid. They don't do the job, but they get paid. Yeah, it, it was a this was a refreshing surprise. We put it on the front page of the Plain Dealer because it was one of our local leaders doing something good and interesting and accountable. So good for him. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Now let's go to the other side of the coin. How much of a role did Jim Jordan play in the politically motivated evidence lacking move to impeach President Joe Biden that got underway Thursday, even as Jordan and his colleagues were refusing to act to avert the government shutdown? Lisa, what is his role? I don't know that he had a big role. And as a matter of fact, most of the news outlets last night didn't even quote him. There were much better quotes in that meeting than his. But anyway, there was a Thursday hearing on evidence to impeach Joe Biden. It got very heated. This was the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. And its chair, James Comer, the Republican from Kentucky, said investigators uncovered a mountain of evidence of Biden abusing his public office to benefit his family. Jordan chimed in and said, this is a tale as old as 
time. And he criticized the Department of Justice for slow walking the probe into Hunter Biden and making a sweetheart deal with him. And then Jamie Raskin, I think, had one of the best quotes of the night. The Democrat from Maryland said that if Republicans had a smoking gun or even a dripping water pistol, they'd be presenting it today, but they've got nothing on Biden. And despite this claims of mountain of evidence, we haven't really seen any yet. None of the hearing witnesses had independent knowledge of Biden family activities. They only testified as subject matter experts. And one of them, who is testifying for the Republicans, George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley says, current evidence doesn't support impeachment, but inquiry is warranted. He told Jim Jordan that the case would be stronger if there was a direct payment to Biden. But he said it was clear that Hunter Biden and his associates were selling access to Joe Biden based on email statements and sworn testimony. That's just not true, though. I mean, there, there, there is no truth to that statement. I was thinking this morning, all you need is three panelists and a big gong, and Congress becomes the gong show. You know, it was, <laughs> it was a great show in the 70s. Chuck Barris, who made some of the worst TV in history, the newlywed game and things, decided to parody it and created this thing called the gong show where terrible performers came on, sang terribly, and if they were terrible, the panelists would gong them and shut them down. So, you know, we could do that. You know, Max Miller gets up, stands up, the panelists would give him nines, 9.5s, Jim Jordan, Matt Getz gets up, they gong them, out comes Gene Gene, the dancing machine, the confetti, <laughs> and we all have a good time. That's what it's become. It's, it's just yeah, unbelievable it's... to me how silly this is. They have made themselves a laughingstock. I don't get why Jim, uh, uh, Dave Joyce and the other moderates in Congress don't grab the reins right now. On the Democrat and Republican side, they could take over, elect a reasonable speaker. It could be Dave Joyce, for Christ's sakes, and move the country forward because the country does not agree with the fringe of either party, and they've got a chance to do it. I don't know why they wouldn't. Look at what happened with issue one. Dave Joyce's district voted against issue one in large numbers. They want reasonable government. Why don't the reasonable people take it over and get rid of the gong show contestants? I keep wondering if maybe they're hoping that they, if they give the extremists enough rope, they'll hang themselves. But that hasn't happened yet. I think there's just a, a lack of courage on a lot of people's parts. But I have to give the Democrats on the committee a lot of uh, you know credit for saying they had laptops with a government shutdown clock on it pointed at the audience, which I thought was pretty cool. And Chantel Brown, the Democrat from Cleveland, said this is political warfare over people's warfare. And if we don't you know pay attention to the government shutdown, sixty thousand workers in Ohio will be furloughed, and one hundred and eighty thousand moms and babies risk losing women and infant and children benefits. Right. I, th- I mean, that's what's so astounding. They're playing around with this idiotic impeachment thing as some sort of false equivalency with the criminality of Donald Trump instead of doing their jobs. And that that's made it a circus. Why? I, there's a, there are more reasonable people in Congress than unreasonable people. All we hear from are the Jim Jordans and the Matt Getzes. This is a chance for the Dave Joyce's to take over. I should say for people who are younger, who are listening to this and have never heard of the gong show, go to YouTube, look up Gene Gene, the dancing machine. Oh there's yeah. Video on there with like 1.4 million views. It's great. It's hilarious. That's what Layla and I will be doing later today. It's, it was, this was such a, <laughs> such a fun show. It just, it made, was a great show. It made fun 
know all the conventions of daytime television, and uh, Chuck Barris was a genius. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's keep on with the shutdown, Layla. How would the candidates seeking to be Ohio's U.S. senator handle the shutdown if they were in Washington? Would they work to avert it, or would they put politics ahead of the people as their <laughs> colleagues are? What do you think, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Andrew Tobias did a great job rounding up the for us the the views on this of, of Ohio's three major GOP U.S. Senate candidates, Cleveland businessman Bernie Marino, State Senator Matt Dolan, and Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and also thoughts of, of the longtime Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown. Andrew points out that Dolan, as the chair of the Ohio Senate's Finance Committee, has the most relevant experience in the situation. He helped negotiate and pass the last three state budget bills, including a, a two-year $190 billion budget over the summer. And while that may seem a little like small potatoes compared to what's going on in Washington, those budget negotiations do stall at times. In 2019, lawmakers had to pass a 17-day stopgap funding measure to buy more time. That said... He's mostly squabbling with fellow Republicans and state government here in Ohio. So it is a different animal. Dolan told Andrew in an email that that voters he talks to want the federal government to end pandemic era levels of spending and take steps to reduce inflation, secure the southern border and reduce the national debt. But Andrew's still waiting for an answer from Dolan's campaign as to whether he would support the stopgap measure passed this week in the Senate. LaRose made some comments on a Steve Bannon podcast this week in which he said he he opposes the Senate's temporary funding measure without clarifying his specific reasoning, although he said he might support a temporary funding measure that keeps the government running for a couple days to give negotiations time to continue. He said he feels like shutdowns always end up making Republicans look bad. And Bernie Marino, who has never held elected office and is the, the Trumpiest of them all, wrote on on the, the platform for formerly known as Twitter that Congress shouldn't agree to fund the government without resolving the invasion at our southern border. And he said he said now isn't the time to cave to lefties and fund the war in Ukraine. Now is the time to finish Trump's wall. And then there's Sherrod Brown, who said in a call with reporters this week that a shutdown would harm federal government workers who live in Ohio and and work at places like NASA Glenn in Cleveland or the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton. He said, this is really just a bunch of politicians trying to score political points when they're hurting our state. Finally, somebody who's reasonable. I got to <laughs> say, well, you know, I, I've been asking a lot of questions on subtext of late and I'm amazed at how much support there is for Sherrod Brown. Widespread, right and left, people think he's a good guy doing good work. I think these other guys are going to have a very hard time dethroning him. I mean, you know, I asked about legalized marijuana yesterday and got a very mixed bag, probably more in favor than not, but it was close, but overwhelming support for Sherrod Brown. These guys that are running and say they would shut the government down, it's exactly what we talked about, Max Miller. That's not your job. Your job is to keep the government running, <laughs> right. not to shut down the government. It's just obscene that that's what they're saying on the front end. I mean, we talk about Frank LaRose. Frank LaRose doesn't make decisions. He takes marching orders from Donald Trump. So it's basically putting a uh, uh, Donald Trump automaton in Congress if you elect him or Bernie. Bernie's the same way. They're just sycophants to the criminal former president. Man, it's really his comments about the border wall. I mean, that yeah. just struck me as so out of touch, even with Trump supporters. It's like he just reached into a 
bag full of stupid ideas from Trump's playbook and pulled out border wall. I mean, even even the most diehard Trumpster probably realizes that the border wall that he promised Mexico would pay for was a colossal failure and one of Trump's more embarrassing campaign promises, right? Why would you take why would you take us back to that? Why would you even bring it up now? <laughs> and what do you want in a senator? Do you want somebody who's just going to take marching orders for someone? Or do you want somebody who's going to use his head and make decisions based on the facts before them? That's what that, you know, that's the job is to to be smart and be thoughtful, not to just say, yes, sir, and do whatever the former president tells you. That's what you get with those two guys. So. Hopefully, they're not going to be the next senator. We want thoughtful people like a Dave Joyce or a Max Miller is appearing to be. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cleveland Clinic is on another big building spree in the city. What is planned, Laura? Well, they've got three buildings, new medical research facilities that are coming online. The first one opens this month, and the next two construction is going to begin next year and open in 2025. This is all part of a planned expansion of laboratory research, and it's funded in part by the Cleveland Innovation District. That's a partnership that's trying to bring together local healthcare, higher ed institutions, and create new jobs in biomedical research. So the the building that just opened is 45,000 square feet. It's remodeled in an existing building on the clinic's main campus. It's going to house research programs for life sciences, immunotherapy, and precision immunology. And it's got floor-to-ceiling glass walls so that the public can see scientists at work, which is very cool. And next year, they're going to do two more. And they're going to include green space, landscaping, and walking paths, which I'm sure will be really nice in the neighborhood of monolith buildings and i hope the public gets to use them yeah because that is not that campus right that campus is just mere buildings with above ground passageways so nobody ever has to walk on the street uh to do something that is more welcoming to public participation would be big i'll wait to see if steve litt weighs in on what he thinks of this he's been banging a gong himself trying to get people at the clinic to start thinking about it as a neighborhood. Right. And so these will be on Cedar and 100th Street, sorry, in the Fairfax neighborhood on the southern edge of the clinic's main campus. So hopefully they will be a lot more inviting. And what is also interesting is they're going to focus on infectious pathogens. And after the pandemic, I think we could all agree that research in infectious diseases is needed. That section of the campus is becoming, it seems like, more user-friendly. You got the grocery store that'll be opening there in the not distant future. It's taking forever to build it. But with Opportunity Corridor to feed it and to make that a more walkable area, it'd be a pretty big deal. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Here's a different kind of Lake Erie story. Cleveland is hosting governors from the Great Lakes states and officials from Canada next month. Lisa, what is that about? Well, it's the Conference of Great Lakes St. Lawrence Governors and Premiers. It's a biannual leadership summit, and it's going to be held at the Renaissance Hotel in downtown Cleveland, October 13th to the 15th. Governors Mike DeWine, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, Eric Holcomb of Indiana, Tony Evers of Wisconsin, and John Shapiro of Pennsylvania are all scheduled speakers at this summit. They're still awaiting confirmation from Illinois, Minnesota, New York, Ontario, and Quebec. So on the agenda for this month's 
summit is they're going to talk about planting 250 million trees to help mitigate the carbon output of the regional shipping industry while increasing maritime trade at the same time. They want to talk about commercial fishing. This is something I didn't know. You can actually have commercial fishing of yellow perch in Ohio, but walleye is recreational only. So it'll be interesting to see what they say about commercial fishing. Ohio will present details of their H2 Ohio program to reduce toxic algal blooms in Lake Erie. And then they're going to talk about the burgeoning uh, cruise ship industry Um, and Great Lakes cruise ships and on the St. Lawrence Seaway and Cleveland of late has become a popular port of call for cruise ships like Viking. Um, About a hundred 150 to 200 attendees are expected, elect officials and high-ranking government reps from both the United States, Great Lakes states, and Canada. I wonder what they'll have to say. Yesterday, the U.S. EPA approved that lame Ohio proposal on the algal blooms. It's not going to work. All the experts Mm -hmm. have pointed it Mm -hmm. out. It got approved anyway. So there'll be some shaming there, I suspect. What I would like to see is a whole bunch of Democrats show up outside wherever they're meeting with signs imploring Gretchen Whitmer to challenge Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? No, it wouldn't. (laughs) Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I saw the bogus news reports and rumors start flying earlier this week. Then came the emails from people asking why we were covering it up. On Thursday, Cleveland police had to debunk this nonsense for the second time this summer. Nonsense generated by television reports, I should add. Layla, what are we talking about? We're talking about false stories that the city is dealing with a ton of unsolved missing children cases. A recent post on Fox News's website said that more than a thousand kids were reported missing in Cleveland this year, including 50 who, quote, seemingly disappeared. And the story was widely shared on social media. But Cleveland police say not only is this completely untrue, but it's hazardous to public safety to keep circulating this false report. The truth is that as of Wednesday, the city has 132 missing persons cases, 65 youths and 67 adults. Of the missing kids, 14 are considered endangered. So it's a far cry from over 1,000. And the attorney general's website says at least 45 youths have been reported missing from the Cleveland-Akron area. Cleveland police said 49 of the 65 missing youths are either habitual runaways or not endangered. Two of the kids are about to be taken out of the reporting system, though they did not explain why that was. This is the second time this year, as you said, that Cleveland police addressed misleading information online surrounding missing children. In mid-June, Cleveland police investigated 1,072 cases of missing kids, and it turned out that at least 1,020 had returned home. And the department says they have a 94% solve rate this year on missing person cases. Yeah. What's ridiculous about this is the way it's reported. I think one of the reports somebody sent to me, you know, accusing us of hiding it was from the New York Post. And it has all this brooding language and making it sound like kids are just being snatched away by people that take advantage of them with no real basis in fact. And yet it's out there. It's And people look to the New York Post like it's a credible news agency, which it's mm-hmm. not. But but because it's got the the, the history it has. People sometimes use it as credible. And it's just ridiculous. It's one of the most irresponsible examples of bad reporting I've seen. And and it's been done by by, you know, seemingly responsible TV stations. And it's shameful because it's just not true. And 
people believe it mm-hmm. in large numbers, so much so they accuse us of hiding it for reasons I would never understand. Um, and it's sad that Cleveland police, who are busy with real things, have to drop everything to assure the public this is complete hokum. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We announced last week a partnership with Kindland, the group trying to spread kindness far and wide. And our part is to publish stories about acts of kindness. Laura, this week saw our first What Was the Act of Kindness? This is a game that Augusta Halley, a Hawking grad, came up with. She wanted to create more conversations between communities to help counterbalance the social media bad news with more positive aspects. And she wanted to do this across Ohio schools, hoping that the energy shift that resulted would benefit the entire state. So she had a pair of partnerships, first with Kindland, which kicked off uh, a big summit last Friday. And that's also Values in Action as the nonprofit behind that. And the Governor's Ohio School Safety Center. And she worked with a bunch of high schools and students from around the state with Governor Mike DeWine and state government on this 21 simple acts of kindness bingo game. And the number represents the memory of each of the elementary school kids who died in Uvalde, Texas. The The Kindland Initiative had its big get-together last Friday. David Knight, our CRO, was, was I think, the final speaker announcing the partnership. Dave Yost was a keynote speaker. This was a powerhouse of significant leaders all getting together to advocate for all of us to show more kindness. How did it go? I think really well. Pete Chikarian, our reporter who's writing these Kindland kindness pieces, covered it and had a really thoughtful story about how everybody came together to talk about this, that the importance of being kind to each other and that news is generally bad. That's why it's news, because if it's ordinary, it's it's good usually. So trust has dipped to a very low level with the government with probably each other and technologies allowed less interaction with actual people and more divisiveness. So it takes something to overcome that and really go face to face with people and be good to one another to counterbalance all of the bad news that we kind of harp on in this society. Yeah, well, and it, it's been a bad couple of years between the pandemic and gun violence and riots and all sorts of things. Well, and there Ukraine. was a study that showed if you read a bunch of bad news, but then you read a story that brings a smile to your face, you're healthier. So we're yes. trying to, we're trying to, you know, lessen the impact of all the horrible news about people like Jim Jordan and Matt Gates. You're listening to Today in Ohio. It will be in New York, but you can stream it live for the first time on Disney+. Plus. So, Lisa, who is going to perform at the Rock Hall induction ceremony on November 3rd? Yeah, it's, uh, as you said, it's going to be at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. And this is the first time ever it will be live streamed. Well, actually the second time. The first time was in 2009 on the Fuse Cable Channel. So on the performers list are Elton John, Dave Matthews, Brandy Carlisle, New Edition, Her, Chris Stapleton, and St. Vincent. And also will include 2023 inductees Missy Elliott, Willie Nelson, Cheryl Crow, and Chaka Khan taking the stage. Um, It has been on HBO for the last 10 years, but never live. What they do is they present an edited version and, of course, delayed after the ceremony. Um, Tickets, if you want to go to Brooklyn, are $95 and up. They're available now on Ticketmaster. Um, 
I I would love to go to see it. I I don't have Disney Plus, so I won't be live streaming it. But I always wait for the HBO. You know what they do with it. Also, ABC will be airing a special on New Year's Day. I don't know if it's going to be the full induction ceremony or just parts of it. I I respected what HBO did with it because the ceremony itself is abusively overlong. There is mm-hmm. so much flab in it; it goes on and on and on. And what HBO did was they reduced it to give you all of the moments you care about mm-hmm. without a lot of the nonsense. I, my bet is this will be a second screen kind of thing for people. They'll have it on, but they'll be multitasking. So they have something interesting to do during the, the flab of it. But it is something to be able to see these newsworthy moments in entertainment in real time. Mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. why Disney Plus, I think, outbid HBO to get it. Um, you know, the next time, I think, it'll be here, right? It, the, the next one will be well, in- I, I don't remember where we left it because I know they wanted to add Los Angeles back in, but it was a question of whether it would be Cleveland every other year and then between New York and L.A. on the other years. I, did they ever decide that? I think it's going to be here every other year. It's just when does it come back because the expansion yeah. – will have something to do with that. If the expansion is still heavily under construction, then I doubt it would be here. Uh, I can't remember. I thought we reported it, but I don't remember. Anyway, for this year, people can watch it if they subscribe to Disney+. Plus. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for the week of news. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens to Today in Ohio. We'll be back on Monday. Monday.